Hello and welcome to Unbossed. We are so glad that you are here. And here's what we have in store for you today. Elon Musk has a new way of making money. Oh yeah, he needs to make more money if you can believe that. President Biden is tackling one of the issues that matter most to the poor and the working poor and that is junk fees. And no surprise here, the Supreme Court is at it again. The dream dashers that this current court is, oh yeah, they make it more mischief. But more importantly today, we got the one and only Jordan Jordan Yule with us. He is a Rebel HQ contributor and the host of Deep Dive and a fellow Ohioan, OH. I.O. I.O. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my God, Jordan, it's so good to have you here. And you were we were sharing a story before the, the, the show started that just really warmed my heart. Can you please share that with with our viewers? Yeah, of course. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm in Ohio and I went to Youngstown State uh, University for undergrad. And I went in the early 2010s. And as some of you know, that's when Senator Turner in the Ohio State Legislature. And as someone who followed that, I was really excited about Senator Turner. Uh, So I emailed her office and asked if she would come speak at my school. And I never heard back. (laughs) She was very busy, I'm sure. But I've been on the uh, I've been on the Senator Turner train since like 2010, 2011. That is so wonderful. So I'm I'm upset now that that I didn't actually get a chance to do that now, but I am really glad that the universe has brought us together in this way. And thank you so much for sharing that story. And we have something really hot going on on Thursday night in our efforts to help get out the vote. Jordan, tell 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 the folks all about that. That's right. Uh, tomorrow night, Thursday night at 6 p.m. Eastern, there's going to be a huge get out the vote stream. It's a fall guys tournament. And we're going to be pairing a bunch of streamers with political commentators to join forces and talk about voting while we play fall guys. Uh, The progressive victory uh, fund is the ones organizing this. Uh, It's going to be a ton of fun, but Senator Turner, John Iderola, uh, myself, and many, many others who you all know and love are going to be playing tomorrow night at 6 p.m. It's going to be on a ton of channels all over Twitch. Uh, check my Twitter uh, and check Progressive Victory and Frogan are, who are organizing this. I'm really excited. We're going to have you gaming to get out the vote, Senator Turner. Oh, I cannot wait. I'm looking forward to this. And please, as Jordan said, you, this is something you don't want to miss. This is going to be epic. Yes. Our first story of the day, Jordan, and everybody that is watching us, Elon Musk wants your money. Oh yeah, you heard me right, he wants your money. So he purchased Twitter and now he has to make some of that money back. There was a whole bunch of chatter on Twitter, no pun intended. Let's look at what some folks had to say about Musk, his comments about lords and peasants. We have the one and only 
So Twitter's current lords and peasants system for who has or who doesn't have a blue check mark is bull. It power to the people. Blue for only eight dollars a month. So you can purchase your blue only for eight dollars a month. Surely you know that that stirred up a whole lot of conversation on Twitter about it. Let's pull up the one and only chief of receipts himself, Warren Gunnels. And he broke down for Elon Musk, just in case he didn't know who the real lords and real peasants are. And he said, or he wrote the following, economic system in America, lords, the richest man in America who became over $180 billion richer in a pandemic wants you to send him money every month. Peasants, 60% of workers, a workers live paycheck to paycheck. One pink slip or medical emergency away from financial catastrophe. Warren Gunnels definitely hit that nail all the way on the head. And then Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez joined the conversation. Let's take a look at what she put out there. LMAO, laughing my off, okay? At billionaires earnestly trying to sell people on the idea that, quote, free speech is actually $8 a month subscription plan. I'm with you, Congress lady, really trying to sell that. But then we got Ben Shapiro, who just had to chime in on what the Congresswoman said. Free speech does not mean that services must be free of charge. You use your phone for free speech, but you also pay for the phone plan. Yeah, but this is a reminder. Twitter isn't uh, so. Twitter isn't so big on consumer spending. Let's put up this headline: Twitter blue troubles. Twitter's app has only generated 6.4 million in consumer spending to date. Hmm. I wonder does Elon Musk have a problem? You might be wondering the same thing, especially since. By 500%, the use of the N-word has increased on this platform since he made the purchase and other transphobic and homophobic uh, remarks are being made by people who are really believing this whole notion of free speech, the speech to say anything about anybody, any way that you want to say it. This man is really causing a confluence of confusion and disruption on this platform. Now, Musk wants eight dollars, eight bucks, so he can make up for some of those losses. So far, so far, there was a headline today that he has lost a lot of money. Jordan, well, there's a, a few things at play here, and you're talking about the rise in hate speech, which shows the kind of people that he inspires. And through him and other right-wing figures, their rhetoric around free speech, that's the kind of behavior that so often is inspired. By what they say and do. People don't see it as, oh, I'm free to protest the government. I'm free to speak about issues that typically don't get the same sort of attention in the media. It's no, how can I say the most heinous, reprehensible things possible free from any backlash? And what he's trying to do here is insulate Twitter from any advertising losses, because I think he deep down knows that's what people are going to do. And I don't think he cares. But advertisers aren't going to want to be on that platform. Right now, Twitter's revenue, annual revenue, around 90% of it is advertiser-based. And he knows there's probably going to be some losses if that's the type of people who really get active on the platform. 
So switching and, and pivoting to a more subscription-based model insulates them from any losses without him upsetting those reprehensible people in their user base or the people that support him. And what he's doing in addition to that, increasing the price of Twitter Blue from $5 to $8, is dangling verification over people's heads. Oh, you can get this verification check mark if you subscribe to Twitter Blue. That presents a whole new set of issues because if it's traditionally, that has been reserved for people who you know, have some sort of uh, pu- public profile, uh, are, are prone to imitation, and Twitter takes an extra step to, step to validate their identity. That's decent, whatever. And what he's doing is saying you can buy that because it has been coveted by some people. But that sets up a ton of scam potential. Like who's to say I just go like I, I or someone else could go on there and just make, you know, Wells Fargo official buy Twitter blue for eight bucks a month. And all of a sudden I'm out there DMing people asking for their bank credentials. Like we need to hear more information about what this plan entails, because right now there are so many holes and it just seems totally misguided. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. And speaking of impersonating, I mean, I know lots of people who have been impersonated. Yours truly is, is among those. And that check mark is a way to delineate because you have to prove that you are who you are. Now, all you have to do is just buy it and you can be anybody you want to be. Thanks, Elon. Everything is going so swell since you purchased Twitter. So far, so good. Junk fees. So President Biden is cracking down on junk fees, also known as hidden hidden fees. So happy to hear it. I am so here for that. But those fees keep the ultra wealthy ultra wealthy, which is why they were created in the first place. Really a penalty for being poor. So Jordan, you wrote an article in the, at the lever and thank you for breaking this down. And you share a little bit about that and then we'll put up some graphics to comment. On. Of course, yeah, I wrote about this uh, for the lever and my Substack, and this is something I've been covering for a couple months now because banks, over the past ten years or so, have taken in well over four hundred billion dollars in overdraft fees, adjusting for inflation. They make around thirty billion right now a year because some banks have reined in overdraft fees in advance of potential regulation, and what. If people aren't familiar, it's when you, you know, you, you write a check or you run your debit card and you don't have a sufficient balance, but the bank allows that transaction to happen. So you owe whatever the remainder is plus a fee. And sometimes that fee gets additional charges every day. You don't restore your balance in your bank account, your checking account or whatever. And that begins to accumulate. And when compared to a payday loan, which so many people see as predatory and scammy because of high interest rates, this actually has a higher interest rate, sometimes up to 17,000%. So that's not a sustainable system. Republicans have tried to frame this as some innovative, flexible product for short-term lending. When really they they know this is how banks profiteer. You know, thousands and thousands of banks, like 90 some percent of banks and around 60% of credit unions have overdraft programs. And they frame that as some innovative product, but ultimately it's so they can take money away from people. And a very small percent of people, and these are the working poor, end up paying around 90 some percent of overdraft revenue every year. So it's not just everybody's doing it, it is 
people who are really struggling to make ends meet are providing the lion's share of this 30 billion or so in annual revenue off of overdraft fees. You're charging people who don't have money more money. And it's just, it's, it's totally grotesque. So the Biden administration is now saying, we're gonna tackle this. This is a problem. This is something that shouldn't exist. So we're going to crack down on this. And the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau, which I think is great and the Republicans hate because it puts the interests of working people and consumers at the forefront finally. And they put out, you know, they, they, they've issued directives, they've put out guidance and all these different things that they plan to do. And the entirety of the Senate Banking Committee sent a letter to the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau taking issue with this saying, you don't understand what you're talking about. You're smearing these banks, you're smearing overdraft fees by calling them junk fees. So I decided I'm gonna look up and see how much the banking industry and the financial sector has donated to these Senate Banking Committee members. Millions just in this cycle. They have received millions from the banks just this election cycle. And I think the four Senate Republicans who are up for re-election this year have received over half of that. They're not doing the, they're not putting the interests of the consumers and the in, in, in bank customers at the forefront. They're doing the, they're doing the interests of the banks, and they're putting banks first, and that comes at a disservice to all of us. Well, it's it's, it's par for the course in Congress. The owner donors get to control the policies, and I want our viewers to understand that overdraft fees. Let's take that junk fee for example has not always existed in this country, it came into existence in 1990. So we didn't have it before then, which means we can live without it. It really is a penalty on the poor. And Jordan, your excellent, excellent article laying out what it exactly it is, what is happening. And that we just as much as we don't like predatory lending that is coming from other financial avenues, we should not like it here just because it is a bank versus another type of financial institution. It is just as wrong. And as you have clearly made laid out for us, they are charging, the banks are charging much more than these other entities. So we want to put up what the president put out in a tweet. President Biden, we're cracking down on hidden junk fees like surprise overdraft and deposit fees, credit card late fees, hidden hotel booking fees. Amen to that, Mr. President. Even those termination charges that stop you from switching cable and internet plans to get a better deal, they add up, we're taking action. And that is, I mean, that is absolutely true, George. These fees do add up and they do have a disproportionate negative impact on people who are already struggling every single day. It is very regressive, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. It disproportionately affects the working poor. And one other thing I want to point out is just to show the role of money in politics time and time again, that's where these conversations end up. It's not just the banks donating to these Senate Republicans. It is also the Chamber of Commerce, which represents business interests. They have spent tens of millions of dollars already this year lobbying on a ton of financial issues, but specifically on overdraft fees. And they are lobbying Republicans and some Democrats in Congress hard because there is also a bill in the House that Carolyn Maloney introduced that would also rein in overdraft fees. 
So you know, some Democrats are trying to do something about it, and they're being met with this onslaught of lobbying and you know an army of lobbyists and millions and millions in campaign donations to people who should be regulating the banks in Congress. So it, it, it totally it disproportionately affects the working poor, and it also underscores the role of money in politics and how we really are going to struggle to do anything until we get big money out of politics. Yeah, follow, always follow the money and whether it's corporate Dems or corporate Republicans, the corporate takeover, the corporate states of America, that is real. I wanna share, put up something that came from the Republican members of the Senate Banking Committee. Jordan, you had mentioned them, but they sent a letter to the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which said, the CFPB has launched a relentless smear campaign against the banks that offer optional, that's laughable, optional overdraft services to their customers. Charging fees that customers chose to pay should not be disturbing or illegal. George, I mean, I just gotta let you break in right there. That is a pure under, that is a bold-faced lie. Who would choose? What consumer in their right minds would choose to pay those overdraft fees? That is not true. Right. It, it's it's also in how it's framed. Right? They spin these things to their customers as an additional free service. Hey, we'll protect you. It's overdraft protection is how it's always framed. So you don't go over. Cover the transaction so you don't get it declined. And then they leave out in the fine print that, oh, we're gonna slap you with around a $30 median fee and fees every day you don't get that money back into your account. And it's all about spin. It's That's why they're taking issue with the term junk fees because they really wanna spin this as some flexible, convenient service a bank provides. And that's not true. It offers a, it offers a more expensive median fee per use than a payday loan. Yeah, and I, I just can't I can't stress that enough. And we all I think we all agree payday loans are not a healthy, safe financial product. It is predatory. They charge right. high interest rates, but this is even worse. But it's ultimately about how it's spun. Yeah. And you know, one of the things I remember, you know, on the Sanders campaign, one of our ideas, one of the things that the senator wanted to push is that we use the postal service, which Republicans are trying to destroy. Uh, use the postal service in place of so that people uh, that don't have as much could use that as a banking avenue. The United States Postal Service, why not? Why not utilize them in that way? But Republicans, Republicans and corporatist Democrats, this is a bipartisan effort. We want folks to know because there are, in fact, people from both parties that benefit from allowing these banks to get away with this. So it is refreshing to see the White House stepping in saying enough is enough and we are going to do something about it. You know, the Republicans went on in that letter, Jordan. I mean, the whole thing is laughable, uh, pointing out that somehow there's a disdain for banks. No, the disdain is about the practices. The disdain is about how they are treating or mistreating is probably a better characterization, mistreating their customer base, especially the customer base 
that can least afford it. It makes no sense. Jordan, so glad that you did this story. And I hope that folks will continue to you know, support what the White House is doing in this effort. And we continue to push for more policy changes. And just one other point about this, Jordan, it really shows that public policy can be changed. That what is true today does not have to be true tomorrow. That this stuff does not have to be there forever. If we see a problem in society, we should seek to fix that that, that problem, to right that wrong. And that is what is happening in this case. Love to see it. I'm glad to have a love to see it moment with you, Jordan. And we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the show. Now to my favorite part, viewer comments. So this is coming from a TYT member, Dana Manning says, Jorby, good to see you, my friend. And a whole bunch of exclamation points. <laughs> On Twitch, Trish Dragon says, celebrating my 20 months of subscription with Senator Nina Turner. Your intro gets me fired up. The same here, Trish Dragon, every single time. And thank you so much for your subscription and your support of the TYT network as well as Unboss. I'm sending you a whole bunch of love. That was coming from Twitch. Thank you so, so much. Now, do not forget, Brittany Griner is not free. Her family needs our support. So if you are utilizing social media, do not forget to hashtag WeRBG. We wanna make sure that she is not forgotten here as her family continues to push and other entities continue to push to hopefully get her home. We need to send them all the love and the support that we can. And if you praying people out there, Please lift that family up in prayer, sending well wishes and sending your thoughts. And others in this circle are working hard to try to bring her home. So all of us can do what we can where we are to be a part of the solution in helping Brittany Griner find her, not find her way, but get back home. And don't forget about our sisters and brothers and family and friends in Jackson, Mississippi. You can join TYT and make a donation of any size. Go to tyt.com slash relief. That is tyt.com slash relief. Again, we all can do our part to be the change we wanna see in the world. That's a quote from Mahatma Gandhi. Oh my goodness, here we go. Global impact of corporate greed. Is it really global impact? Does corporate greed impact our other sisters and brothers and family and friends all over the world? Yeah, I would say that it does. So big oil continues to get rich while everyday people continue to struggle to afford to live. And whether that's putting gas in the car or food in the fridge, people are struggling even to pay their mortgage and their rent. But big oil, they're still, the money is still rolling in for them. So oil companies doubling their profit from last year. That's what they're doing. And the companies are Exxon Mobil, BP, Shell, and Total Energies. So they're doubling. Meanwhile, working people are still struggling. That is a problem. And how is it that these corporations are making so much money off of other people's misery? Because that's what this comes down to. They live in the good life. They're living the high life. And every other person is struggling. Every other person has less money to go around than they had before. But 
all of these other, these big corporations, they're not breaking the sweat. They're breaking the backs of the workaday people of this nation. That's what they're doing. So how did Shell do this year? They did pretty well. Let's talk about it. Shell, one of the biggest oil companies in the world, posted a $9.5 billion, would it be, in global third quarter profits, more than double the $4.2 billion it reported during the same period last year. Of course, they'll be buying back $4 million, or excuse me, $4 billion worth of stock. That's what they're gonna do. So I'm trying to understand this, Jordan. And I want the viewers to understand this too. How is it that in the midst of the pandemic, in the midst of just extreme suffering on top of the suffering that was already going on before the pandemic, that corporations like Shell and others can double their profits. But meanwhile, in the hoods where people are misunderstood, the suffering continues. I think it shows just this callous disregard that oil companies and their executives have for working people. And we can get into it in a bit what is really driving some of these cost increases. In part, it's it's definitely free, but you know, there is an element where it is the Saudis. But on this corporate greed element, Biden has offered, you know, kind of some feeble rhetoric around reining in some of this profiteering, passing on some of these profits back to consumers and working people and to lower prices. And they really haven't, you know, done anything serious to tackle this uh, you know rising gas prices, even though it is now an election, uh, you know, liability for Democrats. But on this notion that they should return profits back to working people. Exxon CEO Darren Woods and Exxon made 20 billion in, in quarter three uh, this year. And they, you know, I think doubled their, their profits from quarter three of last year. And he mocked Biden the day after Biden said that, saying, oh, well, there's some people in Washington and the White House who think we should return our profits back to the working people. That's what we're doing in terms of our, our shareholder dividends. And so basically saying, hey, if you're an investor, you're great. Shell with these buybacks, huge windfall to their investors. So some people have said, okay, let's. Let's have a, a windfall profits tax. That's Larry right. Summers, who was Obama's economic advisor, mocked that idea and said, "Hey, whoa! If you do that, you're going to limit investments in clean energy." No, they've had ample opportunity to take those profits. I mean, it isn't just this quarter. Up all this year, the top seven, the biggest seven oil companies this year have brought in around 170 billion in profit, profit, not just total gross revenue. So they've had quarter after quarter after quarter to, to, to make any investment in clean energy, to make any investment in lowering costs, and they're not doing it. This isn't Shell's first round of buybacks. They've done it multiple times this year. So like they're just giving money back to investors. They're giving their executives bonuses. They're paying themselves. They're keeping the money, and it's it's breaking the backs. Of working people, so any idea that this is necessary to some sustainable long-term future is totally bogus. Yeah, it is definitely not their first time to the rodeo. They ride this horse over and over and over again. We're gonna look at the comparisons of those profits. Take a look at a tweet from Greenpeace UK. Shell makes 3.7 million in profit every hour. Yeah, you're reading that right. 
you are hearing me correctly, $3.7 million in profit every hour. In the UK, 10 people die in poverty every hour. Anyone else find this disgusting? Does anybody else? Do you? I hope that you do. And that is why we need our elected officials to take some action. Where is the stick? Georgia federal government has the biggest stick and they need to use that stick against these oil companies. And not only are they taking advantage of the consumer, they're also destroying our environment as well. So how about total in industries? They did a pretty good they had a pretty good profits too. Total industries reported 9.9 billion in profits, up $4.77 billion compared to the third quarter of 2021. Very clear that these oil companies are not feeling any pain, but they should. And that pain should be coming from the federal government making the crooked path straight. Government's job is to be the referee, but they're not doing a whole lot of refereeing in this case. Jordan, why, why do you think that they are allowing these companies just to run amok like this? You know, I think part of it is also that they can blame production issues. And that there is an element of a production issue because OPEC and OPEC plus specifically is, is a cartel. And because of the war in Ukraine, because of Russia's involvement there, and through OPEC plus their relationship with the Saudis, they just artificially reduced production. Biden has made repeated asks. I wrote about this in the lever this week. Biden has made repeated asks to the Saudis to increase production. And instead, they not only cut production, they cut it more than what the Russians even asked them to. Like it caught the Russians by surprise. They cut it by like I think 2 million barrels uh, per day, which is that is that is a colossal reduction. So artificially limiting limiting it is basically not just a middle finger to to Biden by the Saudis, but also really does drive up some element of prices. What they what they charge at the pump isn't necessarily one to one tethered to production. I mean, they can profiteer at the pump that way. They can, you know, increase the prices of things inside the gas stations. So these, the, all of these things add up. But the oil companies, despite the price of oil per barrel slowly declining, has remained relatively stagnant. It's not the five dollar mark that it was in the peak of the summer. It has gone down a little bit, but it's still relatively high. And people like to say, oh, okay, well you. They just they dismiss these record profits as uh, you know just because it's we're returning to normal. Well, look back at quarter three, 2021. Things were normal. It's it's what you want to look at is 2020. People try to still try to use COVID as an excuse for this profiteering. But like I said, these are record profits. It's not just it's not just that they're doubling from last year. They're they're posting some of their biggest quarters ever. So it is in history. Grotesque. Yeah, definitely in history. And they're definitely charging more than the cost to do business. Extremely so. So the planet is on fire because of these fools. Your hair should be on fire because of how they are taking advantage of the Amer of the world, not just the American people, of the world. We all need to unite against this kind of stuff and demand more from our elected leaders who unfortunately far too many of them are, are bought off.
by these owner donors. And we do need that windfall profits tax right now, right now. Now the Pennsylvania Supreme Court targets mail in ballots. Yeah, they are doing that. Pennsylvania is a key battleground state as we all know with races such as Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman versus Dr. Oz for the Senate and Josh Shapiro versus Doug Mastriano for governor. The Pennsylvania Supreme Court is throwing a wrench into the midterms by targeting mail-in ballots. Now, Pennsylvania Supreme Court, I just want to know, inquiring minds want to know, what has a mail-in ballot ever done to you? Please let us know, because this is what you're doing to the mail-in ballots. Make no sense, how did they offend you and your sensibilities? What you are doing, you're rocking the very foundations of democracy. So here's the deal, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court ruled Tuesday that state election officials cannot count ballots submitted without a correct date on the outer envelope. Siding with a coalition of Republican groups that sued to block undated mail in ballots. As if the date on the envelope is the most important thing. It is not. Doesn't stop these people. The sixth judge high court ordered election officials to quote, refrain from counting any absentee and mail in ballots received for the November 8th, 2022 general election that are contained in undated or incorrectly dated outer envelopes. Even if they were received on time, pointing to two specific Pennsylvania statutes. Thank you, Jake Johnson from Common Dreams. Again, this makes no sense. People are voting for the November 8th general. They know when they're voting. So maybe they made a mistake and they didn't put the date on the envelope. Again, that is not the most earth shattering thing that can happen. But obviously to these Republicans, it is. <sighs> Jordan. Yeah, I, I, this is another instance of the, you know, they seem like little adjustments, little tweaks around the edges. But it's a way that state legislators have tried to suppress the vote. You know, a little, you know, just one little adjustment here. Oh, you just got to put the date here on the envelope. What that has to do with your ballot, I don't know. You know, that's what I think is most important, not specifically what day you put on the outside of an envelope, but whatever, you know, through voter ID laws, through matching signatures exactly to your registration, all of these different types of things, when applied, always disproportionately affect the most marginalized people. And that is why they're doing it. It's not because it's going to suppress the votes of the rich white suburban areas. It's because they, they, they have found that all of these different things, all these tweaks around the edges have a disproportionate effect. And that's why they keep doing it. So yeah, I don't care what the envelope, uh, what the date on the outside of the envelope is. And you know, I know you don't, and I don't think anybody should no. really care. If it's received before the election date, it just, it should count. One person, one vote, it's simple as that. But we're living in a society where they want to rig the system to stay in power. And ultimately, if you know people like Mastriano wins, he's going. He already said he's going to crush unions. If Dr. Oz wins, he wants to push to put privatize Medicare. You know, all of these awful things. They want to restrict people's right to choose. They're they're terrible on a whole host of issues. These are not people we want anywhere near the levers of power in our government. No, not at all. And they are being clear, so we should believe them. They are 
letting us know exactly who they are and we should believe them. And so Lee Chapman, acting secretary of the Commonwealth argued against the ruling. Let's take a look. In a recent filing, Chapman warned the GOP coalition was pushing an order the wheel disenfranchise thousands of qualified Pennsylvania voters, predominantly older citizens, because the voter omitted or incorrectly wrote a date that serves no function, showing <laughs> exactly what we were arguing in the administration of Pennsylvania's elections. As a matter of both state and federal law, county boards may not disqualify ballots based on an omission of or error in the handwritten date, the brief contended. Again, it makes no sense except for if you are trying to rig the election. It makes no sense but for the fact that you may be among those who believes that the democracy is stronger for you if less people have voice and especially a certain type of people have voice. That's the only time stuff like that makes sense. So when you hop over to Pennsylvania's voting and election information website, it provides steps for mail-in and absentee ballots and they are the following. Step one, obviously read the instructions carefully and mark your ballot. Step two, seal your ballot in the inner secrecy official election ballot envelope. So it's two envelopes that you have to use. We do that in Ohio as well. Seal inner secrecy envelope in outer return envelope. And then step four, return a voted ballot to county elections board by 8 p.m. on November the 8th. I mean, all of these, these, these voter fraud claims are pretty much unfounded and the GOP knows it, but they're just gonna keep riding this horse all the way. Who we elect does matter, not just the types of people we elect to Congress, not just the type, type of person we elect to the presidency, but the types of people that we vote for in state legislatures and secretary of state's offices. All of these elections and offices matter. So we cannot afford not to treat the state level of government as if it is as important as the federal level because it is. And in some cases, even more so. So make sure that you get out there and you vote. Well, speaking of the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, the Supreme Court of the United States of America. Yeah, baby, the dream crushers are at it again. Let's put up this headline. Takeaways from the Supreme Court of the United States affirmative action cases, conservatives may overturn precedent allowing race as a factor in admissions. So there are two cases before the Supreme Court with regards to affirmative action. It is the students for fair admissions versus the president and fellows of Harvard and the students for fair admissions vote versus the University of North Carolina. I want you to know straight up that the students for fair admission are also people who have strong affiliations with Justice Clarence Thomas, as some of us may recall, has a disdain for affirmative action. I just got to put that out there so you I want you to know who you are dealing with. So the Supreme Court is po is poised to say that colleges and universities can no longer take race into consideration in admissions programs. A decision that will likely overturn decades old precedents and could diminish the number of African American and Hispanic students in higher education. Now during a marathon session lasting almost five hours, 
The justices heard from a total of five lawyers. Three argued on behalf of Harvard and the University of North Carolina. Two others, both former clerks, I gave you a sneak preview of that, of Justice Clarence Thomas, argue for the conservative group Students for Fair Admissions behind the challenge. With a six to three conservative liberal majority, the question may not be whether the court will strike down affirmative action, but how far it will go. Jordan. That's horrifying. This is something that we, I think we're all better off as Americans if that is a factor in college admissions. Personally speaking, like I said before, I went to Youngstown State that was you know, a much more diverse student body than my high school, even just growing up outside of Youngstown. And while I was there, you know, Trayvon Martin was killed and we had conversations about that that really opened my eyes to police brutality because I had people in my class who were saying like look this happens all the time this is just the first time there's cell phone footage or something like this this is the first time social media is talking about something like this and it that just having a diverse classroom and a student body offers totally new perspectives and institutions have recognized this over the years that a diverse student body is important to educational outcomes. And what people are arguing in opposition to that is no, it should be based purely on merit and that's it. Race shouldn't be a factor and that's not healthy. That's not good because all that does is perpetuate the long systemic effects of Jim Crow where you have tethered, you know, property taxes and property values to education funding. And that just creates decades and decades and decades of systemic disenfranchisement and discrimination where you know schools in predominantly black areas that have been redlined are at a greater disadvantage of wealthier white areas. And that would then just extend to college admissions. And that is, I can't say exactly how I feel because we're not allowed to swear on this this show, but it is totally not right. And I I can't believe we're even this close to it. But this is some, you know, Clarence Thomas has been vocally, uh, you know, vocally opposed to affirmative action in college admissions, despite acknowledging himself. He was the beneficiary of a program like that to get into Yale. He has said it himself in the context of these conversations in the Supreme Court. So I I don't know, I I don't know how this is going to go. I don't have high hopes, but I really hope that some people have some moment of awakening where they recognize that this is something that we should consider in terms of college admissions. And Justice Thomas has certainly been working towards this end for a very long time. And colleges and universities are microcosms of a larger society. It is important. And it really is, race is really only one variable that they are considering from other variables. But I don't see them calling out those other variables. Let's put up a some language of how, because I want to make sure that people understand what we're talking about. And the ACLU did a very good job of laying this out. Race conscious policies such as affirmative action aim to address racial discrimination by recognizing and responding to the structural barriers. Jordan was talking about that, that have denied underrepresented students access to higher education. Race conscious admission practices allow universities to consider a student's race as one factor. Let me underline, let me bold it, let me put an exclamation point on that right there. One factor, it is not the only factor, it is not even the major factor, it is just one factor, one variable in looking at a student in a very holistic way. Now, Justice Kataji Brown 
really picked up on this. So I just want to go ahead and skip to what she had to say about this. She said, why is why is it that race is doing anything different than the other than the over 40 other factors the school considers? They're looking at the full person. Go ahead, Justice Kataji Brown Jackson. That is the question. Why are these people so fixated on race? They weren't fixated on race when it comes to ultra, ultra wealthy white men. See, we've always had affirmative action in the United States of America. Let's be clear about that. But that affirmative action has been from the for the wealthiest among us. And usually that type of ultra wealthy were, were white men. And of course, some white women benefited from it too. So I ain't gonna let them off the hook either. It has been for the ultra, ultra wealthy. That kind of affirmative action they ain't got a problem with. But when it comes time to try to level the playing field, and there's a lot of work to do in this country to level the playing field, now all of a sudden they got questions. Now all of a sudden they got concerned. Not concerned about the truth and reconciliation processes that need to happen in this country. Not concerned about the generations of African Americans and other people of color and even some women in this case who have been stumped upon because of the clear affirmative action that took place at the founding of this nation for ultra ultra wealthy white men. They ain't got no concerns for that. We got to correct these wrongs and we got to make some crooked paths straight. Shame on the Supreme Court of the United States of America. Congress, y'all need to go ahead on and expand the court, baby. What you waiting on? Expand that court because this court is taking us to hell. We'll be right back. We're not going to stop in hell. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Your comments, here we go. TYT members, Prince Electro says, corporate greed is so gross. Corporations like Shell and Exxon are going to burn down the planet and let us die. Side note, love you, Nina. I'm sending that love back, baby. We're gonna try not to let them destroy Mother Earth or fly to Mars and leave the rest of us here burning, okay? We're gonna keep on working on that, Prince. Electro on Twitch just says with SCOTUS more than likely striking down affirmative action, HBCUs are going to become even more critical to people of color and federal funding must be increased to these HBCUs. Just what a great point. Just really shame on the Supreme Court of the United States of America. They know good and well that race is only one variable. It's not the only variable. And but yeah, you're right there. I'm right there with you. And then on YouTube Super Chat, Sam's girl says, love you Nina with exclamation point. Sam's girl, I'm sending the love right back to you, baby. Yes, thank you so much. Thanks to all of you for your support of our TYT network and especially yours truly, Unbossed with me. And guess who I have with me today? I have none other than Lee Weingarten. Lee, how you doing? Hello, Senator, how are you? It is so good to see you. It is so good to see you as well. And you are running for county executive in Cuyahoga County. That's right. the great state of Ohio with the center city, the main 
artery of the county being Cleveland, Ohio. You know, you you know, I had to put that that out there. Okay. I want everybody to know that Lee is the Republican running. Yeah, you heard me right, the Republican running for county exec. I did extend an invitation to Chris Ronane, who is the Democrat running for county exec in Cuyahoga County. But unfortunately, his schedule would not allow him to interview on Unbossed before before election day, which is on the Tuesday, November the 8th. And I totally, we all understand that everybody's busy. But I wanna make sure that the viewing audience understands that I offered the opportunity to both candidates and Lee is here right now. And Lee, if you were to win this race, you would be the first Republican county executive. I know that that is true. Now, Cuyahoga County is over overwhelmingly votes on the Democratic side of the ledger, Lee. And with so much turmoil going on on the federal level, even some folks, and some of those folks are people like me, would say that the federal level GOP, they are engaged in some neo-fascism. January 6th comes to mind, some of the folks that you know want to deny the results of the 2020 presidential election, even so much so they wanted to overthrow the government and use violence to do that. How do you, someone that is running in a county that overwhelmingly votes for Democrats, how do you deal with those two pressures? You know, I'm the last Republican to serve as county commissioner when we had an old form of government with three county commissioners 26 years ago. So I know how to you know, win elections and serve in public office in Cuyahoga County. The good news about running for local office is that's really where you can fix problems and avoid the national discussion on issues that seem to separate this country. So running, and I've been running now for two years for this office, I started my campaign uh, talking to folks in the urban core. Because that's where we have our challenge. Cleveland is the poorest big city in America. It's the worst place to live if you're a black woman. And the worst place to start a business if you are a black entrepreneur. So I met with folks in the urban core to talk about issues that really mean something to them and to their families. So we formed an urban investment agenda that focuses on driving up the number of people who are owning their own homes to 10,000, 10,000 more I should say creating 4,000 good paying jobs in the urban core of the county that are within walking distance or bus distance of where people live. The one that's really important to me, a $10 million program to help urban entrepreneurs form and grow 250 new small businesses. It's really about empowerment. The only way that I know to correct injustices like unemployment, poverty, hopelessness, and crime is to invest. It's the way the suburbs got wealthy. So that same philosophy of investing in home ownership, job creation and new companies will bring wealth that starts and stays in the urban core of Cuyahoga County. And do you see that Lee is, is some of the most pressing problems for our county? I mean, let's face it, the, the poverty rate is almost 16%. Our poverty rate in Cuyahoga County is higher than that of the nation and also higher of higher than that of the state of Ohio in general. Is that as, as you are traveling the county, what are some of the most pressing issues that people are talking to you about? And how do you plan to ameliorate those challenges, those problems? I think that is the problem in Cuyahoga County is poverty and lack of opportunity. And it comes down to investment decisions that have been made by the government for the past 20 years since I left as county commissioner in the mid 1990s. Investments have been downtown in convention centers and a medical mart and a new hotel that the county owns. 
rather than investing in programs that help people in the neighborhoods of Cleveland and the first ring suburbs, which are also suffering like the neighbors of Cleveland are. Yes. So I think if we change our focus perspective and we really uh, invest in programs that help people and families and neighborhoods, we can address unemployment and poverty. And when you address those, you also address crime. We know neighborhoods that have high incidences of, pri of private home ownership are safer than those without. We know that people who have jobs don't commit crimes. The people who have companies generate wealth for themselves and their families. This is how we bring back Cleveland to the greatness it had 50, 60, 70 years ago. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. We definitely have to work on poverty. You know, half of Cleveland's children are living in poverty. Uh, we have some one of the highest, the highest uh, poverty rate among children in the country. And that is that, and if the child is hungry, that means that their family is not doing well at all. It always boggles my mind and how we separate the child from the rest of the family. Because if the children are going to bed hungry at night, that means that their parents are going to bed hungry at night and any siblings that they may have. Lee, politics is not without controversy. There's a controversy swirling right now. There was an article written accusing you of having a quid pro quo for support. Can you address that allegation? Sure, I would be happy to. So. My opponent has got a real problem in the black community. When he ran a police force, he was targeting black drivers. 94% of the tickets issued by his police force issued to black drivers. Last year in December, he tried to extort a black man out of the race for county executive, the mayor of Warrensville, by sending him a threatening text message weeks before that mayor announced for county executive. And now he's attacking Bashir Jones, a former city council member and accusing him of selling his endorsement to me. It's a ridiculous argument. We sponsored a conference that was Bashir was part of, had nothing to do with an endorsement. It's an opportunity for our campaign to speak to seniors and small businesses. That's what it was and that's what it uh, we uh, intended it to be. And, and my opponent knows that. His challenge is he's got a problem with the black community and I don't. We'll win a lot more votes there than we should as a Republican. And I'm very proud of our endorsements. I'm proud of the things we've done the last two years to position ourselves for historic victory next Tuesday. But people certainly do not want to see business as usually not in our county and not in this nation. And a lot of folks, as I have traveled, not only this county, but this nation, they are tired of, of politics as usual. Let me ask you this final question. What is something that you can share with people that they would not read in your bio? Um, well, my bio talks about my family and I'm very proud of my wife who started a small business last year, a bakery and my three children who've done very well. They're not all grown. Uh, you might not know that I, uh, I love to run. I run a thousand miles a year. To me, it's the best way to clear my mind and begin my day. So I'm a firm believer in being on the road, running and thinking while I run. Uh, and I've been thinking a long time about getting back into elective office. That's why I chose this office of county executive. If you really want to fix the system, if you want to help people, you start at the local level. We've had a failing county government for the past 25 years. I think I can bring back success and ideas and investment in the right parts of this county to make Cuyahoga County the best place to live, work, raise your family and retire for all of us. Well, the voters, Lee, will certainly have the final say come November the 8th. Thank you so much, Lee Weingart, for being here. Thank you, Senator. It's great to see you. Have a great rest of your day. You as well. Thank you, sir.
Oh, one of the bones. Yeah, this today. I'm focusing in on the backbone. And I'm bringing this to you from one of the greatest leadership gurus uh, this country has had by the name of Stephen Covey. So he's an American educator, author, a businessman, and a keynote speaker. Has written so many books, the high, the highly effective. So one of the quotes that really speak to me on a regular basis that I want to share with you is seek first to understand and then to be understood. It's real simple today. Seek first to understand and then to be understood. And so often in our life, both on the professional level and the personal level, we have a hard time with that. That we don't seek first to understand where somebody is coming from then so that we can be understood. And seeking first to understand does not mean that you are always totally in agreement with the person that you're having a conversation with. But it is giving them the latitude to share with you their thoughts and their ideas. To frame in your mind that you are going to first understand them before jumping off. And this is especially important when we're talking about politics. Because we are so jaded these days. We are, we have taken our teams, and there is no way to cross in politics in particular. So seek first to understand and then to be understood. So it is a two-sided proposition that one, you understand the person that is talking to you, and then they give you the latitude to understand where you are coming from. We gotta do a whole lot more of that. Can all of us commit to doing some of that? Now we're not perfect, we gotta take one day at a time. But Stephen Covey was absolutely correct that it is important to understand first and then to be understood. Let's work on that, I'm gonna work on that too. Sometimes I got a hard, I have a hard time with it too. I'm a work in progress, baby, and so are you. Thank you so much for joining us today on Unbossed. Sending so much love, you know what I want you to do? I want you to keep the faith. But more importantly, keep the fight. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Unbossed. If you like the show, then you'll enjoy our other podcasts on TYT Network, like The Damage Report with John Idarola, Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie, and The Young Turks. Make sure to listen and follow, and if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating.